0: This is Toby Headox Who's Round, celebrating the anniversary of the anniversary with me, or someone that looks like me, and a special guest, or someone that looks like him.
1: John Joe O'Neill and I appeared in the 50th anniversary uh, episode of Doctor Who and I played McGillip.
2: Well that's my <laughs>
1: connection <with> Doctor Who.
2: <laughs> and if you're going to do a Doctor Who, I think doing the 50th anniversary episode, were you aware of quite the of, of the gigs on Doctor Who to get this how important it was what you were doing?
1: I I didn't, I don't think you kind of truly understand oh, the love and um you know and the, the fanship of, of this show until you do it um it, it's just it, it's another level really um i think i would work just worked with billy piper beforehand M- my last job before doctor who was with billy piper so and we were friends and obviously working together at a national theater doing a, a wonderful play called the effect um i got to see every time we leave for lunch uh, how many fans of Doctor Who would be there. It would always be Doctor Who. And it was just a huge, uh, following and she would get a lot of attention because of that. And, um, yeah, so I, I, was kind of learning about how, how big it was to a lot of people and, uh, but then doing it was, yeah, something else. It was kind of accidental, you know, uh, for me. Did, I mean, was, cause you do a lot of work, um, was, did you go in and see them I mean did you did yeah I, ju- I just got a call I I'd, I'd been out in, in LA doing some auditions and after working with Billy and then I came back and my agent said you've got a meeting for Doctor Who um and I went in did an audition and uh got the part uh, that was it um the character was written as Irish um that narrows it down obviously f- for me not to say that if, if the character wasn't written irish that they wouldn't casting wouldn't think i would be right for it or but i think you know that, that then there's more of a chance that i'm going to be in the mix uh, and and in people's heads for that um and i did an addition i remember the scene i did in the addition. it was cut and um <clears throat> of course as an actor when you when you you can audition for something and, and get a job and then on the train on the way there, literally your, your stuff could be cut, you know, uh, for reasons, you know, beyond your control. But I remembered auditioning with a scene that wasn't in it. At, at one point, I I, bec- I became a Zygon um, via, uh, you know, kind of a post-production, you know, uh, CGI and continued using my own voice. Um, which would have been great, I just loved the idea of having that shot of just talking uh, and then becoming uh, a Zygon mid, mid kind of monologue um, and that, that had to go. I imagine there was a certain amount of, uh, who knows wh- wh- what the reasoning was behind that and um, whether it's uh, the amount of CGI al- already being used or resources, but um, I'm sorry to see that bit go because that would have been really good fun to play. Um, Yeah, um that was it and then suddenly I'm in in Cardiff, you know, in a scene with David Tennant and and Matt Smith and Billy Piper and John Hurt and a double of myself. I thought, wow, this is this is yeah, this is fun. And of course the other the other big thing about that episode was it was three D. So everything took lot longer uh to, to film um so i i seem to remember that the those scenes took a long time to film um yeah it was great to be you know working with billy again and, and then i'd know david from you know we, we both do a lot of work for the royal shakespeare company and i met matt through billy john Hurt. it was just amazing to meet him because he's an absolute legend and a beautiful beautiful man such a lovely soul and had lots of lovely chats with him. He was lovely, really lovely.
2: And uh, it's, it's interesting, Billy Piper had been a, you know, a, a music person and, and you know, her casting in Doctor Who was greeted you know, by people who were slightly askance because she wasn't known as an actor and mm-hmm. now I think she's undoubtedly you know, one of the, the, the busiest uh, actors that, that we've got. So her, it must have been quite... It, how does she deal with this, that sort of day-to-day?
1: I don't know. I mean, all I can say is I'm very impressed with how she deals with it. Um, and she um, has obviously got a lot of experience with this and a lot of experience from a, a young age. Uh, but I think she seems to deal with everything as it comes. Um, um, yeah, I'm sure it has its difficulties for her, but um, I think she deals with it wonderfully. Um, she doesn't seem... T- I, I've worked with some people who... Their way of reacting uh, to fame is to shut down and to hide themselves. And, and on, although Billy's not someone I'd say that quotes celebrity as such, she she's totally herself, and her spirit is a, apparent for anyone to see. She's not become a smaller person or been crushed by exposure, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think that's deeply impressive. Um,
2: so how about? let's not forget, it was the biggest television event of, of the year, worldwide simulcast cast, I think they call it. Um, so, did, I mean, did you watch it? Did you watch it as it went
0: out? Did you, uh, as it went
1: yeah. out? Yeah, I did, I remember. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's the strange thing is, when you watch something on TV, it's, it, you know, you, you may have spent two days filming a scene and the memories you have of that scene are, are you know, one thing and then you watch it, it just happens over two minutes and it's gone and there might be the, the back of your head in it and, and, and you you, you realise that in television how much <laughs> sometimes you can spend a lot of time for something that, that's just like one second on the screen, you know? Um, so that's always strange when you watch um, something you've been in and you remember how much you cared about things and how you were trying to, to find this or find that or not make that mistake and you were trying to you know the cares you had that day um suddenly are, are, are in a broader context you know and and so so it's always weird is as, as the short answer I, I I never really enjoy it you turn on the TV and there's always this feeling of disappointment you know um and that's that's just something I always feel it's very very rare that I've filmed something and then I watch it and think, oh, that's good. I, I very rarely do that. I f- only a few times have I ever done that, where I feel like I've been proud of my work. Um, a lot of times I think, oh, right, it was about something else. The style, the tone of the show was something different to what I'd imagined. And so what I was going for was probably not quite right um it wasn't the right language for the show uh for example David Tennant someone's brilliant on it he knows the language of the show I think he's like the best one on it I think
2: and is that just an innate sense in that, do you think
1: I, I don't know he's David seems to be someone for me who's he he can transfer his his instincts from theater to the screen really brilliantly because he's he has a real charisma on both and, and still seems utterly himself in both. And his Doctor Who, I, 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 I loved it. I thought he was really, really brilliant um, as a doctor and had an ability to kind of just know what, was, what type of scene, what type of feel the programme had so that he could lead it. He wasn't underneath it. He didn't feel like he was an actor trying to act inside it. He was kind of driving it, it felt. Felt like he was coming out off your screen and kind of meeting you. There was something about that that I thought was great.
2: And you'd worked with him at the RSC I mean, before he was cast. Not as Doctor directly,
1: C. but we'd we've both done a lot of work there and have a lot of yeah.
2: But you, so so I mean, did, when he was cast as Doctor Who, he wasn't. I mean, he was known within the industry, but the, you know, th- in terms of his profile with the general public, and again, he's gone on to become. So, you know, knowing his work at the RSC. Um, I'm assuming it didn't surprise you, therefore, when, when he had
1: quite the success that he did. No, not at all. It doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I, and I, I remember I, I wrote to David years ago, and like I've only written to a few people as total fan. I remember writing to David when he did this play at the National Appellate Mall. I was just so blown away by his performance. And... Um, before I'd met him, and I wrote to him, I, I so it didn't surprise me at all because I thought he was, you know, totally top drawer as an actor. But what I'm talking about is an appreciation for what he's able to do in that genre. He's able to come out from uh, and kind of grab you on your sofa, and make you and kind of bring you with, with him on a journey. And he's interesting, you know. He makes big choices, you know. What I mean, he goes for it. He's fun. He's got this Peter Pan quality and. I love that about, about Doctor Who's the, the whole Peter Pan quality to him which I thought he captured really well
2: and, I mean so I'm interested that you talk about being um, disappointed when you see yourself on television because it strikes me that you must have been disappointed quite a lot recently because there was a period last year when my other half and I it is in our nature to build a series up and lie in bed and watch it and mm-hmm. we were doing The Fall and Fortitude at the same time right, and there right. you are in both of them Um, So, uh, I mean, uh, now here you are, uh, on our doorstep, um, playing the lead part in one of the best plays written in the 20th century, so a a lot of this podcast is talking to actors looking back over their career from the end of it, and what's interesting here is that you seem to be enjoying, uh, uh, you know, a purple patch, but of course it it might not necessarily look like that to you when you're within it, because everyone's career is full of frustrations and uncertainties, but... Mm -hmm. You know you've got symbol. Is it symboline coming yeah. up until April next year? So, so you you know that you've got good work a,
1: a ahead of you and mm. recently behind you. Well, well for, I mean, when I say disappointed, I mean disappointed in my work. I, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I think a lot of. It, I'm just saying that's what a lot of actors are. It's just like first time you hear yourself the, the recorded your recorded voice you go oh is that what I sound like first time you see yourself on screen you think is that what I look like and it's it, it's hard to, to not feel weird when you do it but um, I'm not always the the fall I really liked um but I I just thought you know I could have done better work and but that was my feeling about it fortitude the character could have gone a different way I was um a very interesting world and none of us really knew where our characters were going to go. We, we, we didn't start there with a, comp- a complete script, there were guidelines and, and what you had was a bunch of brilliant actors and then as they went along I think a, a few things got left by the wayside and some characters fell away, some characters rose to the fore and, and some characters then came to fulfil different functions than maybe initially that had been uh, imagined do. Um, so yeah, I, I loved Fortitude. It was a great show. I wish I'd done got to do more on it is all because the stuff that I did do, I, I absolutely loved. To work with Stanley Tucci, you know, to hang around a hotel and be in scenes with Gambon. You know, it was just all these, I mean, and people like Richard Dormer, and who's just a brilliant actor too. Look, look, the whole lot of them were just great to be around, and I was honoured to be in that company, I just wanted to go two to two more often, mm. that's what I want, I want to be, I want to be, you know, in, in those exciting scenes with, with actors you look up to, because I think that's that's what makes you better as an actor, without a doubt, is working with people Um, you look up to, people that are better than you, or people that make you raise your game instinctively.
2: So where did it all begin? Was it was it always going to be was was the acting in your in your blood? Was it always going to happen?
1: I don't know. My mum says I used to pretend to be a priest. There was this little uh, little chest in our living room. When I was a kid, I'd um, I'd stand on top of this chest and, and pretend to be the priest. You know when he says this, you know he turns the <laughs> when he turns the. The wine and the blood he says you know this this is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant." and i i'd kind of learned this monologue the, the priest monologue the catholic priest monologue i would stand up and say do this in memory of me and my mom would have to do the ding-a-ling-a-ling the little thing and you'd come up and i'd give you your communion and i'd say body of christ and you'd have to say amen <laughs> so i'd perform this ceremony <laughs> and that was my first my mom's kind of tells me that was my first kind of acting um and then, uh, so maybe that maybe there was an early uh, draw to it from having to go and sit at mass, you know, which of course is an active theater in of itself. Course. You know, so I was drawn to being a priest. My mom was probably wishing that I would become a priest, you know, she'd have a holy son, but uh, maybe it was the theater of it. And then when I was 13, I did boxing alone. you know, cause all the girls were off doing Bugsy alone, so the boys had to follow them. And then I I loved it really Uh, and it was just great, I love football you know and stuff like that but then I got into this and I just, I I was good at it and it felt like a, it made me feel good about myself to do it and so I just kept doing it and then I found out it could be a job and that was it, I was like okay that's what I'm doing with my life. I was kind of as simple as that, I was 14 and I decided I was going to be an actor Um, because I just. Didn't like school at all. I didn't want to have a job that felt like school. Um, I wanted to kind of something that felt more free, you know, and and that's what I did. Of course, it doesn't feel like when it becomes your job. It doesn't feel like you know, you know, it's playtime all day. Of course, then that becomes your job and work, and you have to find escape elsewhere. And but um, that's where it came from initially. Was just kind of really not like in school, not like in homework, and not wanting a life or a job that felt like school or homework. And, uh, yeah. and you've
2: balanced it very well. I mean, you're, you, you know, especially now, I think that, that, again, a lot of the actors I talk to for this, they, they learn, you know, they talk about the golden days of going through weekly rep and doing that and then doing the odd bit of telly. But mm. Of course, it's a totally different thing now, but you've had a great run, particularly with the Royal Shakespeare Company, for whom you played for, it's third amongst, uh, which seemed to be, I mean, was that, was that a, a sort of, it seemed to me a sort of upward curve that was building up to that? Did you feel as you were going through that you were getting parts that were going to lead to something like that?
1: Yeah, um, my story at the RSC was very, it, it, was, it was definitely an upward curve. Um, I started there doing a single new play um, in 2004. Then I came back to do my first season um, where I did four plays in a season um, in 2005, and within that season I played one lead, one medium part, one small part and one spear carrier, you know, and so the the full range of parts within that company over a year, getting to work on lots of different material, lots of different directors' styles, um, and I was never someone that really learned through being studious, through turning up on time with my pencils sharpened and listening to teacher and being a good boy. It's never been my thing. Um, I've always been committed, but never. I, I've, I've never had a natural discipline, if, if you know what I mean. I, any technique I've learned is through throwing myself at it time and time again until I find out the, the best way or easy way to do it. So it was having to do these Jacobean plays night after night after night and you're knackered, you're rehearsing the day. This is when you learn about it, not because you've, re- you've read a biography of your favourite actor and you want to be like them and you copy them. Of course, that just wasn't my thing. It was through being around people and, and looking at some people and going, I like the way he does it. Or I like, oh, that feels right. you know. But that was my way to learn about classical text. And... Um, and this continued this journey and, and I ended up going back to to the Royal Shakespeare company in 2009 for a three-year company an ensemble company where I would do six seven plays over the course of three years with the same company and that and that and, and that, that was an amazing endeavor and I learned a lot more I was a bit older and the different the parts required different understanding psychological complexities and 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 I, was pl- I, would, I would be able to bring more to the parts because it was a different part of my own life. And, um, and I suppose the journey as it stands culminated with Richard III going back after that three year, um, company to go back and play Richard III. Uh, to be honest, after the three year company, I felt done with theater. I was exhausted and and I, I wanted to stop doing theater and I I thought I I was in danger of, (laughs) I don't know. I, I just needed to change change it and work in a different way I thought I need to do screen work now and just work differently um, because I wasn't feeling I was just feeling a bit tired of it but then I was asked to come back and do Richard and, and you can't say no to that you know mm. and it was they keep pulling me back in <laughs> you know, was, uh, well you it, took it to the States as well didn't you not Richard the three year company we went to the right. States <clears throat> we went to New York and uh, that was amazing so then I went back to Richard and that was just I uh, haven't done so much over the last three years. I was totally unafraid. Uh, there wasn't much really self-doubt. Um. I knew I would be able to do my Richard. I would throw myself at it and it was gonna happen. I'd love the play, love the character and what came out of it came out of it and that's how I was gonna approach it. Uh, given the director i was working with and she wanted to be quite pure about the play and let's just do the play as it is i thought okay well then i'm i'm, I'm gonna go for it i'm gonna do it and that's the way it's gonna be um and that's the way i felt that about it in the end and it was great i learned a lot about that and um and and then a friend director rupert gould said okay now we're going to um how would you feel about doing this play with Billy Piper, and um, at the national, and that led into that, and then straight after that, there I was back in doctor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but
2: that was going to be, I guess, the the, the question is, of, uh, is of balance because you can be a great man of the theatre and <laughs> not earn a living, uh, mm-hmm. and also television is such currency now as a, a an actor. So, have you ever? you know, been at a crossroads where you've got sort of two different things coming in and you've had to go, well, d- oh, which do I choose? And, and, and is that something that, that is a plague f- f- for an actor at the moment?
1: Um, I'll be honest, after, after I did The Effect, I more or less stopped working in theatre for, until now. And that's good two and a half years. Mm-hmm. I'd done projects of sh- shorter duration at the Royal Court um, that needed less commitment and also felt dangerous exciting and very different from doing a big show um, after that that period which ended with the effect of the National Richard III, I thought w- where do I go from here what do I do how do you beat this I'm ambitious creatively and also kind of you know with my peers too I like the sportsmanship of that ambition you know I like embracing that Um and I just didn't know where to go from there and I think the best thing to do now is sidestep and just work on TV and work, work in a different way uh, work from a different place um, and I, I did a lot of TV then over the next two and a half years and that felt right um, very different muscularity to working on stage where you get to go on and you, you get to wrestle every night you get you feel like you get to dance it out you get to shout it out you know you, you get to get the inside out on film it's so much more held so much of it um not only because of what's required in terms of movement for a, cl- a, a close-up and how little movement and energy is re- or is required but energy but movement but the fact that you're waiting around for maybe a week before that close-up comes And then the rhythm. I learned, for example, if it's just the, the two of us doing a scene, say like a scene with Gillian Anderson in the fall. The way they shoot that scene, it it, it, it look. It can vary, of course. That could just be in a you know a handheld and done in one shot, but a lot of the times in TV there will be a certain rhythm to how that scene will be shot and you don't want to pick at the wrong time and learning about the rhythm of that is is something you can only learn through doing you can't read about it or watch a michael klein a, a michael Caine masterclass there's something about repetition of what it means and the amount of focus that's required to to listen when there's a close up there i just that, that that was the lesson for me about how you manage your energy focus and it's still something I'm I'm very curious about uh, about that the repetition of that rhythm of um, how long it will take that scene uh, to be shot and if there's emotionality required if there's you know what type of scene it is and what what you're working with here is is, um, uh, very interesting and working on scenes like with Gillian Anderson I thought she was amazing in the scene going oh wow you're doing this and she is really brilliant and what is it is it
2: is that because it's about appearing contained but saying so much with doing
1: so very little oh yes I th- I, I just thought what she was doing was so very little she had she, it was like she was placing it and there was decisions and she knew what she was doing and it just it didn't feel chaotic it felt it felt wonderfully detailed and placed and there seemed to be space around it And she could ask the director if he wanted anything different and if he said yes that she would then do that right in front of my eyes and i thought oh my god and it all still seems spontaneous and for an actor to see that is is very impressive um some people you feel you're working with and they're just themselves and they come across really well on screen but then other people as i say like like jillian doing that with her was just so relaxed and she knew what she was doing. I, I was just very impressed, and likewise with Stanley Tucci. He was so lovely to work with, and, and so utterly brilliant, and brought such joy, such joy to, to the set.
2: That's interesting, because sometimes we hear of that clash between you know British actors who go to America and find it's like, oh, I've got mates who are there in God, God, it's all about the size of everybody's trailer, and it's mm. working in the British, Mold mm. it is much more fun, and the American thing is so much more impersonal. But of course, the rewards in the states. And you've alluded to the fact that you've you've done some auditions over there, and you've done episodes mm. of so uh, mm-hmm. I mean, is, is, is the State somewhere that you you have an ambition towards? Because a lot of British actors are doing very well. It. I watched Homeland the other night. Max Beasley's in it. You know the mm. British actors. I'd love to.
1: I'd, I'd love to. Totally. I, I'd. I mean. Um, there's so much great stuff coming out of America and, and, and it feels very much like the gates are open in many ways. And so, yeah, I'd love to be part of that. Um, yeah, but I don't think there's a, there's a rule for, you know, America, British actors being, you know, it being all about the work and American actors being all about the size of the trailer. There's more money in America. So, and you know, there's probably more power to be had, for an actor in Hollywood, the amount of power you could end up having. So I mean, that's different. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think some of some of the best screen act. I mean, my favorite screen acting is you know from The Sopranos. I mean, I, I think that's the masterclass for me. That's the best TV series ever made.
0: Well, you've been in your fashion... You
1: know, <laughs> early, you know an early
2: uh, thing... You were in Band of Brothers, which... Uh, I, I know it was only a little bit in, in, in the final episode, but there's a lot of people who've only got a little bit in the final episode. Tom Hardy, Michael Fassbender... Uh-huh. You know, none, of, none of them are the sort of... the leads by any yeah. stretch. So, did you feel, even that early on, you know, as a, You know, they weren't just seeing any old actors, even for the, for the smaller parts. Though. So, did you feel that this was... Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering when it got. If you could have foreseen early in your career that you would be somebody that, who was playing leads for the RSC, ambition aside, could, could you feel <coughs> that trajectory from a fairly. I was disappointed. I,
1: I wasn't playing a bigger part. <laughs> is probably the answer to the question. I'd auditioned for a regular. I didn't get the regular. I'd auditioned for a semi regular. I didn't get the <laughs> semi regular. I auditioned for a, uh, an episodic lead character. I was penciled for it. Then I, did, I, when I met them again, and it didn't happen, and then they ended up just calling me and saying, do you want to play this part? And I looked at it and went, no, it's just two lines. Because I've been going off, you, you know, going off of these great things that would have, you know, just been amazing, and it gets smaller and smaller, and, and then at the end they're like, okay, look, it's this or nothing. And I thought, okay, look, to be involved with this, um, it's not going to be a challenge, necessarily. Of course everything's a challenge in some way. Playing two lines, to be honest, is, is very, very difficult. Uh, as you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to look like a normal person when you've got one or two lines, and that's all you have to do because you've been sitting around, maybe for a day and a half, and everyone knows each other, and they're all best mates, and they've been on boot camp together, and they're all walking around. Talking in American accents. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being in, in, in the car, in the Jeep, the actual Jeep, and, and there was an actor who was on the show, and he's like, hey, hey, man, good to meet you. And I was like, hey, 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 how you doing? How you doing? Yeah, good. He's, he's talking to me and in an American accent. And I was thinking, oh, he must be American. You know, Some of these people are American, some of them aren't. And I keep asking him where he's from, and he said, and he said, he's like, ah, yeah, I'm from the east, east. I was like, oh, what, now you like New York, or... And I kept going until he was. I said no hackney. And I was so embarrassed, because I'm just, you're looking at this actor who's just, a, you know, more or less my age, and he's looking into my eyes and just lying to me. And it's absurd. Why are you doing acting to me why are you acting at me and i i just thought that was just nuts you know acting in in this just hanging around acting <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know and, and to be fair this is probably an agreement all those actors had let's stay in it early on they all went to boot camp and they were like yeah let's but that was crazy stepping on that, because all those guys really knew each other and they had, it was like the ultimate rugby locker room humor, you know, they were a, an army unit and they were like, they could be bullies to certain characters and they were total banter banter and ugh, it was quite intimidating to go in there. But then, as I say, yeah, a lot of talking American accents, which I, I, I found strange, I, you know, each to their own. I'm not saying that's not uh, do what you want to do whatever helps your imagination you know get to where it needs to go but it was strange to talk to someone and then suddenly realise that they were doing an accent just to me no audience or anything that was a bit awkward Um, so yeah that was my Band of Brothers uh, story Um. (laughs) I know
2: know of a a, a girl whose boyfriend was out in America auditioning for Pilots who's not he was doing Dumped her in his American accent. <laughs> oh. And she was just like, what are you doing? Not you know, yeah, what are you doing? Dumping me, but what are you doing? Dumping doing? me yeah. in the American <laughs>
1: accent. That is brilliant. That is I, I remember what was the Tom Cruise movie where he played the guy with the eye patch?
2: Oh, that, Valkyrie.
1: Valkyrie. I auditioned for Valkyrie, and my agent at the time said to me. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Darling, darling, they're they're looking for a a transatlantic accent. So just go in there, speaking in a transatlantic accent. I was like, oh my god, what's a transatlantic (laughs) accent? It was the worst thing ever. So I kind of went in there talking like this strange Cary Grant character. I have (laughs) no idea what I was doing. And the guy stops me, this casting director, halfway through, stops me and says, Jojo, is, is that the way you speak? And I said no. <laughs> no. I just heard, I was probably like, no, I just... <laughs> I just heard that you needed a transatlantic accent. I... <laughs> I probably just sounded like some... Transatlantic drag queen. <laughs> uh, that was awful. So I, I, I've stopped doing that. <laughs> there was a time when my agent said, Go in there as the. I, I can't. I find just that idea of lying to someone's face weird. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Well, in the, in
2: the old days, it would be assumed, or they'd ask you, to, you know, that, that actors could do different accents if you required them to with the lines that you gave them. So. Yeah
1: what it would be is look to totally convince them you have to go in there as with that and that's fine. I just decided I feel too weird about it. Uh um, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. you don't move
2: that you did the Daniel Craig movie, didn't Defiant.
1: Yes. Yes. That so I ended up doing that. It was that revalkyrie Uh they both happened at the same time and didn't really do Valkyrie it was close on uh, d- despite the uh, oh so, you didn't blow so it, it, it didn't oh, blow it didn't blow it the, they, um, the, the, the American cast I think was quite impressed it was probably a bit better than my joke accent was there I sure. know what but it was equally as ridiculous uh, it may be more human uh, but yeah they got me back and recalled me <laughs> and stuff but then I did Defiance yeah and uh, that was great that was one of my best experiences that was the first time I'd worked on a big big movie and you know, and I was out there for the whole period of time, and we were a proper unit. Um, it was probably closer to the experiences I, I was talking about, Band of Brothers. But I was suddenly one of the gang, right. yeah. You know, and I got to go out there for a few months and working on an extraordinary story, um, being well looked after, working on you know a big budget Hollywood film, you know, and with stuff that boys really enjoy doing running around a forest and you know and we had to do some training and it was terrific I I loved it we shot in Vilnius which is a place I love Um, I've been back there again in the film it's great I love that place Um, that was great I I loved that it was a really good film I thought Um, yeah
2: but now here you are uh, on stage the the listeners can't come and see it because you're in your final week and you very kindly squeezed me into it because um, we kept missing each other. Um, to tempt an actor outside London now is quite a thing. I mean, I'm guessing it's the part, is it? Because it's a lot. It's a long run to be away from home. Uh, to, to be in a
1: theatre up, up north. Um, yeah, it's it's not something anyone does for the money. Uh, certainly not. Um, and also, I had to commit. I say had to. I committed a very long time in advance. I. I the director approached me, Caroline Steinbeis, direct approached me about this in February. And it's tricky because it means having to fit in work around that can be a problem. And trying to fit in maybe television work and, and suddenly, of course, what you know is going to happen is every job that you might be right for is going to go over that period or all the TV series that might be go over that period. But if you, uh, you can leave yourself available for... <laughs> long time and nothing happens and and I've had experience with that too. But this came along and it was a no brainer really, I was just honoured and I thought well this is what I'm doing and and this is about doing something that moves me, feeding my soul and you know dancing with the girl you came in with in a way which is you know my love of theatre and what it's all about for me which you know that's what it's about and that's what's gonna make me continue to grow as an actor um, I think is working on the stage and forming relationships hopefully with directors on the screen where you get to go see if you look at like look at um, Paddy Constantine, Shea Meadows, look at um, De Niro with Scorsese um, look at um, or you could say there's, there's lots of actors who have flourished uh, forming relationships with directors where they haven't necessarily been part of the industry, where you torture yourselves around town, auditioning for parts. And it feels like it's, it's competition. You know And sometimes it can really feel like it's some kind of competition where you're auditioning for stuff and they're, you know and it's like that. And really, I think um, people flourish when they're, they're working with mates. And they're doing something that makes each other laugh and doing something that feels like it's them against the world and doing something that they believe in, rather than it's under some massive company and it's pressure and money and are you good enough? Do you look right enough? We think his hair should be like this, I don't, and all that stuff. What if it's two mates getting out there and, and you know and and doing something they really believe in? And I'd, that that's what I'm interested in doing and forming. And I think, like, in terms of the way forward on, on screen is about looking for people that you, you want to do that with.
2: Are you optimistic about the future? I mean, we're at a time when arts cuts so high, the BBC's future, there's a massive question mark over it. You know, the rep theatres I talk to, to all the old actors about don't exist anymore.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know my feeling on it. No, I, I, my my response wouldn't be a, uh, a. I don't have a kind of political response to it. I I, I just know that that kind of for me, I, art is, is so important, and and I think if we're going to get ourselves out of this mess, I don't think it's by breeding children to be fit for working in this society as it is. And our education systems are all about building soldiers for it. the way it is. The way it is is broken. And it's leading us to kind of catastrophe. And I think we're the need for creativity is at its greatest. And I think we need to nurture creativity within children. And I think we need to listen to children. And I think we need to teach children to listen to themselves, not to us, not to the people who look at the world. So are we going to tell children to do it like us, or are we going to ask, teach them to listen to themselves and listen to something else, to listen to nature? And I think art is always kind of looking at this area about kind of, you know, man's law and nature and art and our nature and, and religion and ideas about this and These are the, and I think this is the the real discussion in terms of the future of our species. Um, God, you can't let me end on that one, but it's (laughs) It's too grand. It's brilliant. Um, (laughs) Well, no,
2: I've got three three last questions for you, and this has been brilliant. Thank you. And I haven't laughed so much as I did. I'm Um, going to do a, I'm not, but if I am going to do a podcast uh, to celebrate 75 years of Doctor Who, which would mean I was interviewing you in twenty-three years' time. Uh-huh. What would John Joe O'Neill have done that oh by God. that point, that would make this Joe John Joe O'Neill
1: very happy indeed? Oh, wow! No, twenty-five years' time. Yeah. Right. Some tell it. I'd like to do a lot more theatre. There's a lot of plays. You know, I'd like to say tell you about the time that I played Hamlet. I'd like to tell you about what how it felt to direct theater and and the difference maybe how I felt directing and being in it and making a transition. I'd like to tell you about that because that's probably something I'd like to try at some point. Um, I'd like to tell you about um, my time as a Bond villain. I mean, let's go for it. I'd, I'd yeah. love to be a Bond villain, but I probably got that job after my time as a Doctor Who villain. <laughs> Um, well if you can go from Moriarty <laughs> you know <laughs> Andrew Scott's not a villain on the new one to see. He? no he's, he's, oh wait, he's, he's not a villain oh, I thought he was he's terrific I really like him um yeah I'd love to I'd love to do that and then I'd I'd like to um work in some um wonderful British independent films and uh Know, filled with great spirit and, and uh, yeah, that, that's what i like do Well I think the world's roasted
2: from what I've seen um, and I will watch with uh, with uh, uh, a of, uh, with no little surprise if, uh, if we see you fulfilling a lot of those things um, uh, MacKillop didn't die um, th- there is a Doctor Who this year with the Zygons and with UNIT. Well, did they ask you back?
1: No, not at all ah. not at all
2: Maybe um, he's lurking in the
1: side I don't know, I wonder, maybe they're, maybe they're... <laughs> yeah, I never heard anything about that. That's the way it is as an actor, you kind of, you just don't hear. Um, you could have been written in and then written out, and you just, you've no idea um, about these things.
2: Well, um, you've kindly given me your time, not long before you're due to go on stage, hitting the final week of this epic run, so... Um, to, to pay for your time, we ask the listeners to donate to a charity, so what's your charity?
1: Amnesty International
2: Excellent choice and the final question is this podcast was initially conceived to celebrate 50 years of Doctor Who and you were in the 50th anniversary special, so what's your message to the Doctor Who fans out there who listen to this
1: podcast? Um, my, my message is yeah. I, I, well, I, was, um, I know how much this programme means to a whole whole lot of you. I'm, I've met so many people who have um, talked to me about it. I had an amazing time being part of your world and getting to work with so many amazing actors on that episode. And um, thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: You'll never leave.
1: <laughs> Hopefully I'll be back. I'd love to come back. Well,
2: until then, John Gerardiel, thank you very much.
1: Sweats.
0: Especially the one. Right, it's it's the My thanks to John Joe, who I have to say gave me one of the most entertaining uh, hours uh, of Who's Around interviews. Really enjoyed that. Hope you did too. I've not giggled so much as I did at that, Panther Brothers Uh anecdote uh, for a long time Um, his charity more seriously is Amnesty 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 amnesty.org.uk amnesty.org.uk and we'll be going into the who's rounds that run up till Christmas uh, as of next week and they'll all be feature length Uh, I'll basically be doing the ones where the chats went on for quite a while and Frankly, there was too much to cut anything out, but also too much non-Doctor Who to do it in two parts and have a part that didn't have any Doctor Who in it. So um, that's what I'm doing, for better or worse. Uh, so um, I'll speak to you next time. Till then, stay well. Don't do anything bad. Bye-bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, novel adaptations. Who's there?
2: Good afternoon. Lovely weather. Looks like it might
1: snow later. Cold fusion. Shall we explore? Life here is harsh. Resources are scarce.
0: I thought they'd be civilized in the future.
1: target acquired. Thanks to the
0: Scientifica, this planet was one of the most harmonious in the Empire. Yet, they need a peacekeeping force. You found
1: yourself in the middle of a serious security incident. You nearly collapsed.
0: A time disturbance. It was like being caught in a hurricane. We wish to probe other dimensional states, to tap into dimensional energy.
1: My friends and I have been on this planet for six weeks, trying to discover exactly why the Adjudicators are massing their forces here, and what the Scientifica is working on. How can I help?
0: That's a ray-shielded door. What's behind that?
1: A recent arrival, classified research.
0: Heavy security for a science project. Someone here has been manipulating events ever since we arrived.
1: I don't recognize this man. Oh. Hello, Adric. It's a big machine. It's got to be at least a kilometre high,
0: completely embedded in rock. Hello there. Don't worry, I'm the doctor.
1: No, no, you aren't.
0: Chief scientist, something's moving in there. Enhanced audio. What is it? What is it, chief scientist?
1: A story.